This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Computer, who is the Aston Villa manager? Aston Villa's manager is Dean Smith. Of Lee. Wow. Ooh, back in the game. The Illuminati have, have spoken. Ask computer who are Villa centre-backs. Mila Yedinak. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> computer, who are Aston Villa's centre-backs? Hmm, I don't know that one. Yep, neither did Steve Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> when I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Able to dig out across to somebody. Abraham! 1-0 to Aston Villa. Sammy Abraham nods it in in front of the North Stand. And Abraham rose above all to give Dean Smith the dream start in the dugout. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me... Two gentlemen like myself who are transitioning from the Mad Few to Dean Smith's Clarent Blue Army, Dan Rogers from the com, and Chris Budd. Welcome. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Dean Smith's Clarent Blue Army. Now, when I first heard that against Swansea, I was thinking, here's a guy that needs to get his name changed by Deepole so we can just have a funkier <laughs> Clarent Blue Army song. Dean Smith's Clarence Blue Army. I like it. It's functional. Yeah, I, I want something a bit sexier. What do you, I mean, what do you could, think? Just to make the song flow a bit better, he could use an extra syllable. Yeah, no, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. And Dean Smithsies just doesn't cut it. Listen, what do you want? You, you've had a Julio. You've had a, a Remy Guard. You've had what, what else? <laughs> We've been down that road. We're bringing it's it back, closer to home. Back to yeah. Great Bar. It's organic. It's it's natural. It's it's time to get back to basics. Is it? That's right. It's basic, basic names, basic names. We we were obviously all there in the Holt for his first uh, mm. first game, full house. Apart from the uh, hospitality seats, which I noticed there was a few uh, empty roads there. Do you think it was a bit OTT? The big welcome. I, I get it. You know they want to make a big deal of it. And I think because it coincided with the the Doug Ellis 
tributes and stuff. I kind of it was always going to happen with Terry coming back to Villa. It was you know with the the PR department the way they are, they were always going to jump on it, weren't they? Yeah, it was like a returning hero, but he's uh, yeah, he actually hasn't done anything. He's just a fan of Villa, like uh, like ourselves. And I thought, to Smith's credit, he, he did try to play that down in his in his press conference. I thought that he you know that acknowledged the link through his father, but also you know wanted to be quite clear that it, you know his his connection through football hasn't been at, at Villa, has it? So it was a bit of a, a, a weird introduction in the build up and the way the social media attacked it. I suppose was a bit a uh, bit of an odd one and weirdly juxtaposed against the Ellis thing on the day as well. Yeah, the the Ellis thing was a bit strange because I mean I thought it was going to be a, a minute silence. Uh, I don't know if mm. if I was just just assume that or if that was what the initial word came out and the crowd just started the applause, uh, in, you know, instead of a silence. But then that the uh, the guy with the mic just kept talking and I, I couldn't hear it. I was up in the upper hold, so I didn't know what he was saying. But it was just he was a bit, seemed a bit confused. I think they invited a few players. F- from the past, who obviously uh, played while Ellis was in charge. I thought it was a it was a weird one, and a, well, whilst I think the vast majority of Villa fans would be respectful, I think, and were respectful of, uh, of the passing of Ellis. I think there was a, from my point of view, there's been a bit of revisionism, uh, of, yeah. uh, both on the day and in, in the lead up. I think as to the Ellis era, and I think that the, perhaps fans of a certain age may may not remember quite how Villa stagnated over the period. And I mean, I'm not going to labour my point, but I think if if people uh, do their reading around Ellis and, and where Villa didn't go and around where he came from, I think things yeah. things are actually slightly different. You know anybody who uh, who passes away, especially uh, when it comes to social media, the tributes are always like, uh, well, it's you know, it's kind of respectful, isn't it? But no, I, you know, I, I completely ag- agree. And you know, when you go a bit over the top on the revisionism, because you know, we're mm. of the age where we saw Villa when we were like bigger than Arsenal and Spurs, and this is not counting obviously Chelsea and Manchester City, who uh, obviously had the uh, home run of a big, big money owner come in, but mm. Arsenal and uh, Spurs, we've been outdone because we were, you know, held back over uh, decades. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to uh, other things. We'll we'll talk about uh, Dean Smith and the new uh, coaching staff, and obviously the sporting director. And you know, we'll throw in a bit of context from the uh, the Swansea game. Uh, at the end, we'll have a new feature now. Where were you when we were good? Obviously, uh, a little spin on the on the song. Where were you when we were shit? where we look at kind of in idiosyncratic moments in Villa history that aren't the most celebrated, but either spin into a, a, a fun historical Villa story or uh, were actually more poignant than uh, they actually seemed at the time. But first, uh, let's have uh, three points. Former Villa captain Gareth Southgate carries on the the England gravy train with uh, in the international break while all the craziness was going down at Villa. Uh, as well as getting a draw in Croatia, he managed, who were obviously humbled us in the the semi-finals. He managed to, uh, well, I, I thought we were going to hammer Spain when we were 3-0 mm. up, but mm. uh, they still managed to hold on. And uh, do any of you two know exactly what the UEFA Nations League is? Because I still Not a clue. Uh, Still no idea. (laughs) I think think more importantly, is anyone bothered? No. 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 But uh, all I know is uh, if you finish bottom, you get relegated. uh, To where? I don't know. (laughs) Out of Europe. So I thought (laughs) you get get Brexited. I'll have to go and play Canada and China in some other league. So uh, I think we've we've got one game left against home at Croatia, and I think to avoid Brexit, I think we need a draw. I think bottom line. 
I think the top teams go through to a the next round, don't they? Into a knockout. I'm, I'm assuming, anyway. <laughs> so it's like a never-ending nightmare of pointless games that are just basically friendlies rebranded, isn't it? Oh, ooh, ooh, yeah, but that. but it's but it seems to have livened them up a bit. There's there's things at stake. I think especially for the lower nations who can because there is a there's a, allegedly I need to fact check this, but there's a gateway into the European Championships. I mean, the only uh, other Villa connection apart from Southgate, not that we need a Villa connection for the three points. A few Villa fans got their flags nicked, you know, the St. George yeah. flags with Villa. But, I mean, I I've, I've spoke to somebody, uh, a Coventry fan who was over there, and, you know, he was saying how the fans are now starting to up their game in terms of how they tie their flags, you know, to posts or uh, walls mm. or whatever when they're when they're in the pubs of, you know, the respective country. And they're using those builders' uh, plastic, uh, what do they call those plastic? Yeah, cable ties. Uh, yeah, cable ties, yeah. Some are even using metal cable ties now. It's, it's a whole new industry now. How to uh, st- stop some little pikeys uh, nicking your flags <laughs> and turning them upside down for social media uh, uh, photos? That's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I just I would carry a cattle prod and electrify the fence that the actual flags uh, on. Great shout. <laughs> Also, I would write upside down on the flag, these guys are a bunch of wankers. So yeah. when they do, if they do nick the flag and then post it upside down, then the writing will be the right way round and it will say these guys are a bunch of wankers and they won't understand what the English is. <laughs> anyway, moving on to point number two. Thierry Henry, future Aston Villa manager, if uh, this podcast was uh, a month ago now uh, has a 0% win ratio as a manager after the Monaco's loss 2-1 away to Strasbourg. Featuring Rubbish. a dreadful goalkeeping mistake. Well, we nearly had a, f- a few of those. As I said to somebody when I was watching the Swansea game, why haven't the S- Swansea manager worked out that you just got to shoot halfway line and closer, <laughs> just shoot on sight? <laughs> just cross the ball in. Yeah, ah, exactly. It's in the air. I mean, it's only one game, poor Henri but uh, we will see how that pans out. I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of a sideshow now, isn't it, for Villa fans to see how Henri continues. And, and most of them, I'm sure, will want him to fail just to uh, feel good about themselves. Well, he hasn't took an easy job on there. I mean, Monaco are in the uh, bottom three of the French league, so good luck yeah. with that one. Yeah, it's kind of a rebuilding uh, job. Mm. But he's, I mean, he's using the pep word all the time and saying that he's his guru. So uh, I'm sure he's on the end of the phone as a potential mentor if he needs him. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. Every, I mean, it's in- instant gratification, obviously, nowadays in football. Uh, I mean, you'd think with Henri, you'd give him a couple of seasons just to get his uh, you know, feet under the table. Mm. Point number three, uh, Moms or myself, a couple of months ago, was invited to join the West Midlands Police Football Unit Independent Advisory Group, which is basically a, a group that meets the police and they tell us, you know, what's going on their side of the story. And we tell them uh, what we're not impressed with, ask for explanation of, of things. The makeup of the, the group is basically the six West Midlands teams apart from Wolves actually they don't seem to have a rep but you've got somebody from Warsaw Coventry Blues Baggies Villa all the big clubs then all the big clubs so you know we all share our issues and um, intelligence I suppose it's the first group in this country this group that's set up to advise the police to be a critical friend Mm. so this is something in the football uh, corridors like the football supporters federation that they're trying to push on all uh, police forces in the country so at this meeting uh, as an example of good practice this is only my second meeting we had the met police down a couple of reps from them we had a couple of reps from yorkshire police uh, bedford police so they're all there to like check it out and they all loved it by the way they they gave their feedback at the end and uh 
It was all double thumbs up. But anyway, uh, when we got into the villa, I was on about the cabbage. And I, was so, I said, so what's the situation with the cabbage? And I think these guys from the other police forces were thinking, well, we've come to the right place because this cabbage is like the most famous thing in you know, mm-hmm, U- mm-hmm. UK football at the moment. So we get to see the, you know, get the inside track on the cabbage. So as for an update on the cabbage and... and uh, <laughs> was this in, the, in AOBs or was it an agenda item in its own right? I'm... No, no, I, 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 uh, I, I rose the cabbage question. And, uh, you know, they said they'd apprehended somebody, allegedly. Fucking apprehended somebody. And I was saying, like, come on. I said, like, in the press, that you know, I've got some headlines here. West Midlands police hunt man who hurled cabbage towards Aston Villa manager Bruce. <laughs> I think that was the, like, independent. You're a fucking disgrace. An eyewitness account of the cabbage attack on Steve Bruce. <laughs> the, the eyewitness being the Birmingham male photographer who... Uh, <laughs> All the, I mean, the quotes are hilarious. It's like the Onion, isn't it? Like this, you wouldn't believe. It's, yeah. it's just made up. So, made so up. I said to the head of the police unit, I said, "Come on, we know how the cabbage entered the field of play." And she, and she said, "Yeah, it, it was bowled on." And I said, "Exactly." <laughs> the, the the media have made a big hoo ha of this. And I said, "If you're going to be like banning or arresting this man," and I just rolled my eyes. And, and the blues guy sitting opposite me, he he was also, you know, when you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, "What has this world turned into?" You know. <laughs> And he just said, you know, please don't, you know, let's not be, let's not play silly buggers on this because it's the press that's amped it up. And, you know, the police admitted it, you know, the press have obviously uh, gone for the golden headlines, the go- the golden cabbage headlines. <laughs> and then, then there was a streaker who obviously ran on the pitch. And, uh, and I said, well, the strict letter of law says that potentially they could be put on a sex offenders list for in- indecent, <laughs> indecent uh, exposure. And I said the the story is his his pants actually fell down. He didn't actually yeah. willingly. It's <laughs> just cock fell out. <laughs> and you know the police, re- you know they they were laughing and they, you know they realised that the you know the trousers actually fell down on their own accord. <laughs> if anyone wants to relive the moment, just go to the Villa Underground's Twitter page and you can enjoy the moment. Said gentleman's pants fall down in his ankles. Villaunderground.com was there. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> So, and I said, you know, and they said, no, you know, we, we obviously, we don't go out to uh, throw everything at them. <laughs> so there is some uh, common sense there. But just to put a word out there, uh, one of the main complaints across the board, whether it's Villa Blues, West Brom, is just these external, uh, I think the K2 stewards that come in, which are obviously uh, mm. third third party stewards. And they, they seem to be at the root of most problems. And, you know, if, if a steward hits you, if you report it to the police, the the police will deal with them. It's not like they're mm-hmm. both in the same side. And, uh, and no, you know, the law the, still applies, doesn't it? Yeah, the law still applies, and that's what the police keep reiterating to us. They said we don't actually get criminal complaints from fans about stewards if they've got pushed or hit. And even when we see it on CCTV camera, we can't mm. we can't charge them unless somebody actually makes a criminal complaint, criminal charge. So, so the you know the moral of this story is uh, if you get hit by a steward or see it see somebody get hit by a steward get them to uh press you know make the claim uh, against the stewards because normally it won't be the stewards employed by the club it will be these third party ones who have probably had like two seconds of training and uh just pushed out there without this agency really caring uh, what environment they're in like the morons at aston train station who don't let anybody on the platform well that's your personal life we don't care about yeah <laughs> but sorry i'm waffling on about this uh, police meeting but i forgot the, the best bit was uh they um they got the drone man in 
Now, the drone, drones are going to be used increasingly at, let's say, high-risk football games more and more. I think the, the Baggies had a, a test run when they played Reading. They, uh, they tested this drone out. And they're going to use it for the Villa Blues game. And as you probably know, if you've been to a Villa Blues game, over the years, there's normally like helicopters flying around. And uh, I remember the first one I went to ever was that uh, it was when we won the League Cup in 94 when we played them in the second round over two legs. And that was a night game. And I just remember this helicopter coming down really close with a strobe light, not a strobe light, sorry, a spotlight. <laughs> strobe lights are very good. Strobe light on the turnstiles. And it was like being in a war zone. It was, it was you know, very dramatic. But obviously, these things cost money. Drone doesn't cost anything in, in comparison. And- I mean, what are the odds that one of these drones is going to be hit by a root vegetable at some point and they have a, <laughs> this coming together of all these issues? <laughs> well, anyway, turnip, takes well, it so, so you got like imagine a, a long table full of delegates from the police and football supporters and then you've got this guy comes in with this like a trolley full of big cases which have drones of various size and one of them is the big motherfucker drone which has got thermal imaging equipment and so he shows us a small drone you know the daytime one and then he starts <laughs> breaking out this big one and like you know snapping it together and then I'm just thinking about he's not seriously going to turn this fucker on is he and i'm starting to think i'm starting to think about robocop the first one the enforcement droid series 209 is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification but that is only the beginning mr kenny yes sir would you come up and give us a hand please yes sir mr kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure mr kenny use your gun in a threatening manner Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of that was the kind of vibes you were getting uh, with this drone guy who was, uh, you know, very excited about his drones. But what do you think about this idea of drones watching you at all times when you're going to the football? I don't understand how the vast, vast majority of uh, football fans who attend even high-risk football matches are law-abiding citizens. I don't understand it. I can't think of any other public thing you attend where you where you give up so much civil liberty and you're surveilled yeah. in such a way. I can't think of any other thing where it would be tolerated, to be honest. They kind of brush that under the table, the whole civil liberties thing. It's a big issue. Exactly. And they say, like, during the game, there's never any problem. So what what it does then is we can use it to survey the car park. So at least you're, you know that your cars are safe while you're watching the game because the drone is watching them. Hmm. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're on not that 90 minutes. They're on, like, their lunch break or whatever. And, uh, you know, the drone's back in its case and they don't really care. But they're just <laughs> they're making it out to be a uh, public service when, it's, you know, it's, it's a grey line. Well, I just think the good 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 proper policing with good proper intelligence has managed football matches 
bar the prominent mistakes, should we say, for for over a hundred years. I, I don't understand why. I've always been very dubious about them. You know, when they sit, set the camera up at the front of the terrace and and start yeah. training it on 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 the way groups of fans. Who, if anything, I find it. You know, it's not right, but I think it does incite people to to behave in a certain way. And, and I, well, also, they, I, I mean, don't they, think it's yeah, necessary. They film the home fans as well, especially like in R one or well. They've blocked off R one, but R R two of the of the north stand, and you know they used to do it in like L eight of the the Holt as well. What I don't get is the bit that they're trying to police around the ground is CCTV'd to within an inch of its life anyway. Mm. How how could you possibly need any more video footage? Yeah, I think it's just more like the you know the area in general, so you can you can watch everything from train stations and. Mm. I think it's it's almost just, it's it's kind of like toys for toys' sake. Because to be fair, I think with the last certainly the last two years with the Villa Blues games, they've actually policed, especially at Villa Park, they've they've nailed it. I think. With sending all the Blues fans into Witten, closed off the road, and it's all, and it hasn't, no, nothing's gone off before the games. It's probably more useful at St Andrews, where it's a much harder ground to police. Yeah, no, uh, the St Andrews thing is, uh, you know, it's one it's, road in and one road out. There's always uh, a big debate uh, in these, you know, in these meetings in terms of uh, solving the problem and you know, holding in fans. Etc. I mean, the police were asking, "Ah, oh, supporters, how, how do you feel about being held in?" You, you know. Is it uh, inconvenienced? Is it? Would you rather go straight out, or you know, do, is there benefits from your point of view? Well, I, I mean, I've experienced both over the years. I'm sure you know you guys yeah. and many others have yeah, that. Yeah. That I think both cause their own issues. I, I mean, where I take I take issue with both sides is that I think by holding back, it always you know who's the obvious person wandering out into into in and around small heath and air after the game. You know, you can have as many drones as you want. All you're going to see is the inevitable. And yeah. I always think as well, yeah, there, there's there are groups of people who, if they're going to have trouble, they're not going to do it in and around the immediate part of the of the ground either. That that you know that that type of football violence has, has shifted um, in a gener- in the last couple of generations. Yeah, those guys are so much more clued up. They're not going anywhere near no, the stadium. No. I, don't, I don't think anybody who wants to have have it off is going to be stupid enough to do it where they know there's prying eyes of camera. But and- I mean, I, I raised the point that it's fair enough saying to fans at away fans at St Andrews saying, "Look, we're going to hold you in for thirty minutes." Now, make sure you're actually doing something in that 30 minutes to, uh, let's say, clear the way. Because last mm-hmm. time, you know, they were they were left in there for like two hours because the police really yep. didn't yep. deal with the problem. Yeah, because all you get, you get is a, a big mob of a minority of Blues fans who just stand outside the gates with a gr- line of police. And it's like, well, everyone's at a standoff now. It's just yeah, like, th- well, There is a solution, though. Batons. No, no, no. Better than that. The water cannon. Get the water oh, cannon. Let's go, all, let's go all Italian on them. Oh, I tell you, the water cannon was, was deployed to expert use. I, which Euros was it? That one that... Was it, two, was it Euro 2000? You know, no, yeah, yeah, that was very was underutilised just... paramilitary technique in my view. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, less on drones, more on high-pressure water. Yeah, no, exactly. And we're only talking about this in the context of uh, <laughs> St Andrews, by the way. Yeah, of course. Or a drone with tear gas. So anyway, if you're going to the uh, the Villa Blues, watch out for that drone. See if you can spot it. Arm your potato cannons now. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get into uh, Aston Villa and the whole new dawn, the new wave, the new. Uh, well, he, he came onto the pitch like uh, he was greeted like some messiah. But as you rightly said at the top of the the show, when we did a reaction piece. You know, we weren't there just to give you a hype, the hype of it, and you know, blind hype because you know there were there were doubts. If you look at it just in the clear light of day, just on the facts, there is this uh, 
I mean, it's simple, just the results don't warrant the position when you haven't finished higher than ninth. I mean, we're talking about whatever the context here. When you haven't finished higher than ninth in eight seasons in any league, and uh, in terms of actual results, you know, isn't really a, a winner. You know, Brentford, uh, I think it's 57 wins out of 142 games, and then uh, only 84 out of 260 games at Warsaw. So those mm. are the, you know, those are the cold facts here. And, and also, uh, Brentford finished fifth in the championship before he took over, and obviously uh, he's been ninth, tenth, and ninth since. So we'll talk about the context of that in a, in a minute. So those are the cold light of day. But when he did his press conference, you're thinking, obviously, they brought him in as a coach. I mean, he, it's you've got to remember that it's not necessarily he's the manager and it's all on his shoulders, because this isn't the structure mm. he's w- walking into here. So yeah. it's not like that he's the manager and that's it. You know, all our hopes rest on him. There's obviously a structure above him now as well. So this could be a a perfect storm in terms of he's a coach, he's a talented coach, and he just needed that platform to show, you know, what he could truly do. And this feels like, you know, this is how it goes right. Well, Christian Perslow, our new CEO, he went to great lengths really to emphasise that, didn't he? He wanted to make it very clear that uh, aside from the, the, the coaching element and that pre-match preparation, that everything else was being taken away from Smith. Yeah. Um, and and that, you know, the, the supporting cast that's being assembled around him has responsibility for that. Uh, always an interesting concept in English football, I think, because the first guy to get the, the, the full guy is often still the, the head coach slash manager. So we, we will see ultimately. But Smith was impressive in terms of how he's come across so far. I agree. Because I, yeah. I was thinking, because I remember just about the, the days of Graham Turner when he came into Villa. At that time, mm-hmm. you know, two years before that, we were, you know, champions of Europe. Mm. Graham was being sold to us by Ellis as this bright young manager from the lower league, Shrewsbury. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, okay, let's, you know, this is the, uh, we're getting somebody on the up here and it's the, the next bright young thing. And, and here we go. And, you know, we, we're getting Didier Cease in and it, you thought, oh, it might happen. Alas, not. I had the same feeling. Not, I'm not saying it will end like Graham Turner. Mm. Mm. I'm just saying that was the initial feeling where when Graham Taylor came in and he was the bright young manager, he actually was a winner. He had won with Watford. He'd burnt through all the leagues. He'd got Mm. them promoted. They almost won the the first division title with Watford. They finished second to Liverpool and that was the season they got promoted. And so he was a winner. He was a winner in the lower leagues. He'd won stuff with Lincoln as well. Dean Smith hasn't got higher than ninth in the lower leagues, and people go, "Oh yeah, oh my Warsaw mate said they were they were playing scintillating uh, football. It was amazing." And but but Warsaw, like the finishing thirteenth, <laughs> fourteenth. I mean, this isn't the, the spectrum of what a good team is in the lower leagues. If you've got a manager who gets your shit together, you can do you know you can do major things because the levels in terms of who's got the best players etc are you know it's closer in terms of spectrum than you know even the championship for example so if he was super impressive as a manager i would expect him to be you know getting a team into the playoffs at least in uh, in the lower leagues but i think it, do you think in part that's a, a reflection of of uh, it was it was another point that um perslow made a couple of times during the the press conference and i did did think it was one of filler's better press conferences not something yeah. you'll ever hear me say uh, around that Dean Smith brings a clear style of play and that yeah. is something that we have been bereft of for a, a number of seasons and I think that perhaps it's not the complete package and I think, I mean, I, I spoke to some Brentford fans, you've obviously had some contact with some Warsaw fans and that, that seems to be the message coming through um, from them that, that you'll you'll know the style 
Yeah, we, we as a club have been crying out for someone with um, a vision. I think that what we don't know is is whether that vision can come to fruition and promotion with, with us, and uh, it, it has to. Exactly. So, but so on the plus side, you know, Aston Villa, how are they going to sell this manager? Mm. Sorry, new head coach to the fans. Well, they've only got one way of selling it, and that's the old hashtag one of our own. And I mean, it's been successful because I think that's all, you know, certain population of Villa fans actually need, really. If you're a Villa fan, then everything's uh, hunky-dory. But Gabby factor. Gabby factor. But Dean Smith, in that press conference, he didn't he didn't hang on to that at all. He almost dismissed it's, it. No, no. Dismissed it. Dismissed it. He completely dismissed it, didn't he? He kind of said, you know what, I'm, I'm, here, uh, I'm, I'm here on merit. And he was very open about and that. And said, yeah. you know, I've had 30 years uh, in the mm. profession, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, and, and that was kind of impressive. And going back to Dan's point, that's what you need from this guy as the head coach, yeah. is to get them playing. Mm. Leave it up to Jesus Garcia. Leave it up Pitar. to Jesus. We'll just shall we, it, shall we call him Jesus or shall we call him JGP? He needs a name. Weren't the, cl- weren't the club uh, calling him Suso, which I'm not too sure about. Suso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need we need to give him a, p- a podcast name though. Should we call it? Richard should Maid- we call him Richard Man- Maidley? I was say, should we call him Mancini? Maidley, <laughs> Maidley Mancini. That works. That works for me. Okay, we'll call him Maidley Mancini. If we're talking Ma- Maidley Mancini, you know who we're talking about. So leave. You know, it's up to him to get the players in. Essentially, <laughs> obviously, um, Smith will give him what he wants. Can we just stop on just on 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 Richard Maidley? He's yeah. got a very checkered uh, CV. Well, he, he just seems to it, it just seems a bit patchy, and um, I think the Valencia have got well documented problems uh, on and off the pitch. And this is always the the challenge with a with a director of football role is that the the manager becomes a, you know goes as this head head coach role and is then immediately reliant upon the players that get filtered through. I think yeah. you know if, even in Villa's case, you look look this season at the type of players. You know, we haven't seen much of Al Ghazi, we haven't seen much of of Balassi yet. And are those the kinds of players? I always think back to the uh, Tom Fox Moneyball idea that you know those five or six players that were filtered through have to hit the ground running immediately, or the, or the manager the, or the head coach in this case gets the flack. Yeah, because I mean Brentford going back to Dean Smith, Brentford were one of mm. the uh, the prime examples of him of its that system actually working in the English game. Yeah, and obviously Dean Smith, you know, has been working that system and and to. I, I wouldn't say great success because we're talking ninth, tenth, and ninth from fifth, but decent success. And you know, he's made they've made a lot of money uh, from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris, you, you've run, run some of the numbers on this. Yeah, over the last four seasons, they've made a fifty million profit, and that's actually a rising profit with the likes of the deal for Ryan Woods, who's I believe he's on loan at Stoke, but that he has a seven million buying clause that will kick in in January. Maybe this is our cunning plan to get through FFP that we'll just buy Brentford and we'll just transform ourselves. But yeah, <laughs> break, that, break the fifty million. That fifty million profit was on eleven <laughs> players, and and they yeah. bought those players for wow. six point seven million. Eleven players, and then yeah, sold them for fifty-seven point yeah. three. That's remarkable. No, they sold sold them for sixty point eight million. Wow, that's crazy. And as I said, on a couple of the other deals they did, they've it's con- they are continuing to get money from them for the likes of Andre Gray. Scott Hogan. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's still money going for that. 
Harley Dean, obviously Yotta, Maxime Collymu were at Blues. They made a fortune out of those deals from uh, one Harry Redknapp. But what people uh, tend to forget that Smith obviously had money to replace these players, and he did. I mean, we, you just mentioned Woods. He he was bought in by Smith, you know, to replace outgoing players. That balmy period where the Blues decided that Brentford was the way forward, and they bought out. Uh, was it three players or, or four? It, it, was, it was. If you remember right, it was three players on deadline day, yeah. wasn't it? As well, so, it was about six million quid they spent. So I think that in the context of uh, when people say, "Oh, yeah, he's finished," uh, and you, you know, you may say he's finished ninth, but what about the context? That's, that, that's that's the main time, should I say that? That I think, well, okay, nobody likes to th- lose three of their main players on deadline day. I think they've 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 built a sustainable thing where they're not like some of the the so-called bigger clubs in the the Championship, where they kind of like someone like Villa who has to be in the Premier League as soon as possible. Yeah. Brentford, it's a very sustainable model, but they can punch as much above their weight or or not really. That I thought I saw a staggering. Yeah, good coaching, um, obviously, uh, that helps them do that, doesn't it? He has a system yeah, set up, a, and then as a player, they lose a player, they obviously just slot another one straight in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for example, the I, do, I dread to think how much we spent when uh, the, the Tony Shear regime came in that first transfer window. But conversely to that, Brentford in a 130 year history. Have only spent twenty two million on players, yeah. and I think that to pick up on your on That's your last crazy. point, that, that I think that that you know you have to have a plan. And Villa have, have I think deceived us to into thinking that we've been on some sort of road when actually it's been haphazard for well in a number of years really that we haven't been one playing to a plan, definitely not buying to a plan. And then you know you to use the analogy that uh, sorry the example you just gave that. If we lost a player or we're looking to develop the team, we don't buy a natural slot in because we don't know what our formation, our system, yeah. our style of play is. Yeah. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And, um, you know, just to, just to bring us forward to talk briefly about the, the Swansea game, I thought immediately that you saw a manager who'd looked at the 11 and actually gone, well, let's try and pick the best or the most logical player for each position and we'll go with that initially. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just to uh, I mean, just explain that, you just looked at the back four straight away, put Taylor mm. in. The, the, the two centre-backs that everybody with half a brain had been crying out for mm-hmm. and then came up with the idea of, well, let's uh, if you're playing a lone striker, push the two wide men a bit further forward and have them pressing up top as well, as Elmo was and uh, obviously uh, Adomar on the other flank as well. And you just think, it's so simple, this. It's, it's, and you to think, build on that, and then you think, sorry. what was Bruce doing? Yeah, as we've said a number of times, I think Bruce genuinely didn't know what his best eleven was, and, and became embroiled in this idea of overcomplicating, trying yeah. to find a system that just was never going to work anyway. And I thought that was underlined by the centre midfield picking as well. It, it was fantastically balanced. And so obvious that Bjarnason, who's got both Bjarnason and McGinn have legs, they're quite harrying in their play, yeah. but Bjarnason's very composed. McGinn gives all the tenacity that you want in, in the centre there. And that's yeah. not to say that, that Hurahan or, uh, you know, or others don't, don't have a part to play in that. And it's the logical pick against uh, Swansea that you, you want that type of players and complemented by, you know, some width with it. Because Bjarnason and McGinn were, were spraying into that space all day long and it was it was, um, it was good to watch, very promising. It's exactly what I thought when we played Fulham in that playoff final where where a good manager would have thought, right, Bjarnason sent him in, in the midfield instead of Jedernak. Mm, so mm. Jedernak gets the start. But then when we're chasing that game, we're 1-0 down. First half, we've barely gone over the halfway line. Then you think, well, we need somebody to pop up. Yep. And if he does nothing all game, one thing you know about Bjarnason, he will get a chance because he, he reads the game and he can get in positions. And I, and I would have thrown him on at half time straight away. And to see that Smith had already, you know, realised the kind of opponent they're playing, which is, you know, cut from the same cloth as as the Fulham we just mentioned. I don't think it's the Swansea of yesteryear or recent years, but no. But still, they still tried to play. Uh, they were one of they're one of the better footballing sides yeah. I've seen in the division this this season. They were very t- they were very tight because they carry mm. they have a system which they've carried through the last uh, let's say the last decade. And they've stuck mm. to it. So there was definitely a, a lot better balance. And Balance is definitely the word. And as I think on the way to the ground, you sort of see your, your phone pop up at two o'clock and see the team sheet announced. And for the first time this year, you kind of went, oh, wow, I'm not scratching my chin or wondering what the hell is this. You kind of thought, oh, yeah, that'll, that should be all right. And you look at the bench and go, yeah. And even through the game, you, you know, you looked at the substitutions he made and you weren't completely baffled by them. Well, they, were, they were positive changes as well. And, and I yeah. think that if, if the manager had been um, been Bruce, we'd have definitely seen um, the introduction of, of Whelan's and, and, a, and a withdrawal of, a, of an, an attacking player. And I think yeah. what it kept, whilst the game, we were at risk at certain points and, you know, no way Smith going to solve the problems of, of many years overnight. Uh, but I was very encouraged that even as the game went on, we were whenever we got the ball, we were looking to create something. And my God, we missed some chances yeah. in that game and could have been out of sight. But equally, you know, that our frailties were still there for sure. I mean, it did feel, uh, I don't want to labour too much on the game, but it did feel no. like the Reading game because... You can say, Bruce, everything's bad under Bruce. I mean, a lot of it was. But against Reading, we, we were actually, when we got the new guys in, Al Ghazi and obviously Balassi, you know, didn't start that game. But we looked mm. comfortable, but without that, you know, real penetration. And then we got caught, obviously, with our pants down at the end. But this time, uh, I mean, it kind of felt the same, but there's a bit more, you saw the kind of method to the madness. It was a bit clearer what we were trying to do. Like I said earlier on, pushing those front 
the wingers, the wider players higher up to obviously press the other team. But also you're giving, uh, as well as giving Abraham some uh, support, you're also giving Grealish, you know, willing runners options when mm, he gets mm. the ball and starts running at the, the back line. He's got, you know, genuine wider options because they're actually running. I still don't think the midfield uh, have kind of got onto the frequency yet, but obviously, you know, that will come uh, as their instinct, you know, is kind of drilled into them that they need to be running and supporting and moving. Yeah, I think already what you've noticed, certainly the, the two things that I noticed that he's in the short time he's had with the players, the first thing was when we didn't have the ball, we looked a hell of a lot more compact. Mm-hmm. You know, we, yeah. we kind of, the, 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 mid, the midfield sort of three with the wide men suddenly became a five and we were very rigid and quite hard and very close to the back four. The other thing was you could tell straight away he said, you know, as we've commented on numerous times, when our fullbacks get the ball, it was so predictable under Bruce what was yeah. going to happen. It was going to get launched down the line and all of a sudden it was very much let's keep the ball on the ground and let's work it until we can get into a good position. And like sometimes, you know, McGinn was guilty of it a few times, giving the ball away in silly areas and Bjarnason did. And, and that's going to happen when you try and play like that. But at least you could see that, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we believe, and hopefully they they believe in that. And it wasn't and it wasn't pointless passing. Uh, remember that phase where Paul Lambert decided he was going to turn it into a possession based uh, team, and we would <laughs> Westwood Westwood, and we ball. would just play it sideways, <laughs> sideways, sideways, backwards, backwards to the keeper, back out again, sideways, 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 back to the keeper. Please, David, 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> having. Terrible flashbacks. But remember, now. Would you, would you, yeah. please move on. <laughs> but, but I didn't get that. I didn't feel that during the the game against Swansea. It wasn't always comfortable, was it? But as, as Chris just said, it was. I think I think, I think that will come. There was yeah. a little bit more purpose, and of course, you know, they gave the ball away at times, and you know, you've highlighted yeah. the players that did that. Yeah. The flip side to that, I would say, is that. McGinn was probably actually one of the worst for it on the ball, but the thing that gave him probably one of the man of the match performances and Bjarnason was the same, was for every time they gave the ball back, those two didn't half work bloody hard to mm. get it back. Mm. And more often than not, they did. Like McGinn was just Phenomenal vicious in the tackle. Yeah. The funny in the tackle. thing with McGinn is he'll lose the ball <laughs> and by the time you're just about to let out your expletive, like, Bloody hell, he's, he no, he's got the, the ball bike. back. He's, he's got the ball back by the time you said, bloody hell. Oh, <laughs> he's, oh it's all right. He's already stamped. Oh, he's already he's got person. it back. He's, yeah, he's all right. He's already holding the spine of that person. <laughs> and, and two people who um, relatively went under the, the radar on Saturday who would deserve a little bit of credit for actually being played in their position and actually putting a good shift in. One was Neil Taylor, who I thought yeah. grew into the game. The other... I think we we probably saw Twan Zabi's best performance in a Villa shirt. I think he started to look much more assured. He's obviously a really good athlete and he's starting to just look a lot more confident playing with Chester. And I think that combination is only going to grow. And I hope that the goalkeeper takes confidence from the, uh, you know, from a clean sheet. Let's not blow smoke up his arse just yet. Let's not. I had to smile a little bit because Smith in his post-match basically said, well, some saves I'd expect him to make. Yeah, yeah. And that, it's got Absolutely. to be a little bit like that for Nyland for a few weeks because yeah. his performance mirrored Villa's really. There were some good points, but actually there were some quite scary moments yeah. where you can see the team's yeah. a bit nervy around him as well. It's like just because a goalkeeper's made three saves, you don't give him the man of the match and blow smoke up his ass because no. you've got to remember keepers are men to make saves, but also the men are make you feel a bit comfortable if they're doing their job. Yeah. I never felt comfortable ever with him so far. I, I no. think everybody and everybody who's watched Villa this year and in the ground on Saturday is just hoping and praying at some point soon 
you see a cross come in and he just comes yeah. and clears everyone out Confident. and catches it. And everyone can just go, oh, okay, we're all right here because I'm still yet to see him actually there, come from There will be a massive it. cheer when that happens, I think. Uh, maybe the first time it might be an ironic cheer, but uh, I don't think it, I think it will be quite, I think it'll be a supportive ironic cheer. <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't think any Villa fan doesn't yeah, want, no, exactly. want, the, want a player to come good, and I think it, if we're going to get promoted, we need him to come good. Put it that way. So, well, it, and it's yeah. the awful thing is it's a long time till January, so I'd rather that rather the guy uh, found some form and and uh, ironed out the errors, should we say, in that time. Yeah. What do you think about the crowd uh, at the game? Because I think I mean I was up with the uh, let's say the noisier uh, the heart and soul of of the Holt, and still I think. I, you know, at 20 minutes, I was seeing people walk off to get pies and stuff, and uh, I'm just finding it bizarre. I'm having a bit of a culture shock compared to, you know, back mm. in the day when nobody bloody left the terrace until, you know, over half time or obviously at the end of the game. But people seem to be in and out as if there's some real exciting stuff ha- happening on the concourse <laughs> that I'm not aware of. But after the initial, obviously, the Doug Ellis uh, applause and then, you know, the reception for Smith. And, you know, the opening, let's say, 10, 15 minutes was pretty good. It kind of did drop off a bit. And especially the, the second half, it got a bit nervy. And there was, you know, a couple of moments where the crowd realised, you know, the role they they can play in, like, lifting the players to get them back on track. But if it's a full house, people yeah, need think, to get engaged. It's it's not like a day out. I think there's there's a certain amount of the... There's that kind of smoke without fire. It's the fans are almost waiting to be... In, the, the fans are waiting for that catalyst, whereas actually the fans probably need to be the ones to kind of pull the crowd. You know, it's a two-way yeah, I'm, thing. I'm just talking about in terms of everybody being focused for promotion because this is the business we're in now and it's a, and it's a, and it's a very achievable yeah and the good role. thing is we've got a manager now as we saw that everybody's getting behind and this can, kind of galvanizes us but we've all got to kind of play our parts in some respect have something to eat before you get to the game so you don't need to go for that pie in 20 minutes get pissed up and have a right good scene exactly <laughs> something like that uh let's go uh, we haven't touched on the the assistant coaches or the assistant head coaches should i call them obviously uh dean smith operated with two uh back in brentford uh, thomas frank who came from bromby has uh, now gone on to be the top man at brentford so we have uh richard o'kelly i keep thinking richard kelly who directed uh donnie darko uh, richard o'kelly and uh who's he's in his 60s and he's obviously been uh it's like a bit of a senior figure for Dean Smith at Warsaw and Brentford and then obviously uh, Mr John Terry's came along I did quite like Richard O'Kelly uh, his his interview was was quite fun he was like amazed <laughs> to be here yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, everything oh, amazing such friendly people <laughs> I think it was I think it was a stroke of genius who ever decided to split out um, Smith and uh, Perslow and, and then and then put uh, O'Kelly yeah. and, and Terry in separate conferences I thought I think that was actually very clever and and again it was one of <laughs> you you expect car crash tv aren't you whenever you tune into to villa's stuff but it was an insight into the guy and as you say you couldn't help but warm yeah. to him and you know again he's, he's earned his right to have his crack at, at, at and he was first to admit it wasn't he that it's a big club that and it's a big opportunity and he was in awe wasn't he you this is the first was... person let's say in my time of doing my own man said who has done an interview and has actually genuinely meant it's a big club with excitement yeah. because of what he's used to. That's so Every, true. Everybody else is scripted. It's what you say, right? That is right. I'm going to ask you, what's it like to be at Villa? Just say big club, you know, blah blah. But this this guy yeah, was was not off. You know, he wasn't on script. He was just talking genuinely, 
And he was like, bloody hell, it's a big club, this one. <laughs> and then also, he uh, clearly had been taken aback by some of the technical ability of yeah, the players yeah. as well, that they were, you know, that there was genuinely a step up there. And uh, that's actually promising on the one He was hand. like, we got these fuckers playing liquid football at Brentford, but they couldn't <laughs> even finish above ninth. Fucking, they're fucking clog dancers at Brentford. Look what we're this bloody pub team. We'll be winning <laughs> Champions League with this lot, though. <laughs> I think what was was nice to see with all of them uh, in both the, 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 the interviews was that they all clearly see it as a huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at what could have been the case with Henri, and it was very obviously a, sep- a stepping stone for him. Mm. For these guys, they kind of, I think, they really feel they can do some good here. And I mean, I'm delighted that Terry's back as well. You know, I'm. I'm you know, at the, yeah. at the closet in terms of Terry, but <laughs> I think that it's a real good, I, I agree what you're saying. It's an opportunity for him to quietly perhaps go about his business, but also I think he's the right type of personality to be having in and around the dressing room. He gets yeah. that buy-in from the players, which is something we yeah. pondered before. But actually, He's I think the right that, person at the right time, isn't he? As yeah. Well? yeah, and, and as, uh, as David said before, he's got genuine unfinished business and, I, and I, he's a winner and I can't, I can't see him not wanting to turn up every day and win. And I think that's a good, you know, it's not someone sitting there saying, I want to win, I want to do well for Aston Villa. This guy's been there and done it and with a lot of media scrutiny as well in his private and, you know, his professional life. Good influence to have around Villa Park. Because, you know, when he slipped on his ass when he took that penalty against Manchester United in Moscow, what what did Chelsea do? They ended up winning it in the end. Like, you know, Mm. he had unfinished business in that and he managed to, uh, you know, rectify that. So when he looks back on his career when he's a granddad, he'll be thinking, well, I never got Villa up. and Well, hopefully not. <laughs> but, 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 if he, but if he sorts it out now as a coach, then as, you know, as far as he's concerned, he's, he's sorted out the job. Absolutely. Also, I think it's a great opportunity for Terry because, he, as you say, he gets to become that coach and learn the trade. I mean, he's obviously had a lot of experience through some of the managers he's worked under, but he actually gets it to put it in practice in yeah. less of a spotlight than, say, Gerard and, and Lampard, who have gone balls in. Which was a point that he made in the press conference, wasn't it? And I don't, don't think it was meant as a dig, yeah. but he, he, he was self-deprecating and saying that he wasn't ready to, to make that step up. Well, he was, he was talking uh, about that's... the top job in four or five years. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which was interesting, and and to have that chance to develop as a coach at a big club, I'll I'll, I'll say mm. it as Richard uh, O'Kelly is is kind of unique uh, because a lot you know you were talking uh, Dan about when I asked you about John Terry, will he make? Well, I think we had a listener question: Would John Terry make a good manager? And you were talking about well, you know, he needs lower league experience, and I think. He will mm. get this, obviously, at Villa, but he will get <laughs> yes. that, that same kind of experience, yeah. but with a big club where hopefully he'll end up managing if he becomes a manager later on in his career. So it's like real mm. experience. Well, it also puts us on, gives us that, hopefully, this is the kind of model we're striving for, isn't it? Where football clubs, top, top football clubs with good organisation, they, they don't have to go outside their football club to recruit. It's quite a European thing, isn't it? Where you get a you know, your head, coach, head coach may leave, but you might get someone promoted from the academy yeah. or from yeah. the, the coaching setup because then you have that continuity of style, which is a thing that Swansea did. Yeah. Really. I mean, the prime example was Pep. You know, Pep was the the B team coach yeah. at Barcelona and went straight up into the first team. Yeah. So that you know your club mantra, your ethos, your you know that familiarity with good players who are coming through the the academy and the, the that style of play that you want to adopt as a football club, you, you can in theory adopt it as a, as a whole club approach. But yeah. we're a long way from that. And I this know. is something that Aston Villa are under you know Tony Shay and and Wyness and Steve Round were preaching you know for the last two seasons, and it just never happened. But I think just the way it's been set up instantly here. 
And I think they've got the right coach. I mean, I was saying, obviously, his record doesn't suggest he would be a Villa manager, but he he's a, doesn't. No. But he's not a manager. He's he's the head coach, and he has an infrastructure to support him. And and hopefully, I think I I said a couple of podcasts ago said, but he has a canvas now to actually you know paint on as a coach mm. Mm. to see yeah. what he can actually do. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. I agree with that. Yeah, I think with um with with Terry and with with Dean Smith, we we spoke about this before. Was that Dean Smith had the measure of Villa over? I think is it five games he's played against yeah. us now, mm. and and the Brentford performed. You know, most Villa fans were impressed with Brentford as a side. So he knows Villa's strengths and weaknesses, and as a fan, he knows the players. John Terry arrives knowing basically everybody there, mm. other than probably someone like Al Ghazi. You know, he'll be on good terms with uh, Tammy Abraham, which I think could be a, a really important relationship to get the best out of him. Mm. And he'll know Balassi, he'll know all the players from last year, and he'll know where Villa was strong and weak last year. So I think it's not like you've got, say, like someone like an Henri, for example, who could have gone in there very cold and not known the lie of the land. The guys going in there actually know reasonably where Villa are at right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I imagine Thierry Henry is a very uh, quick study, but it's different from actually having the experience. But they've got, you've got, yeah, you've got hands-on yeah. experience well, competing with Villa and competing against yeah. Villa. But yeah, going back to what I was saying about uh, Dean Smith, if he wasn't a Villa fan, based on his record, he's not an easy sell. I think the, the John Terry uh, no. sideshow was a nice way of uh, supporting it as as a kind of package as well. Yeah, and both both personalities buy you time, don't they, ultimately? They buy a little bit of patience and they'll they'll kind of galvanise the supporters a little yeah. bit. And Terry, you know, Terry seems humble in, in the context of uh, learning to be a coach. And Dean Smith's obviously got a reputation of playing good football. So in the short term, I think it's all good. I mean, long term... If Dean Smith struggles or, you know, whatever, and, and John Terry actually turns out to be uh, astute and he wants to manoeuvre for a, another position, then that's, you know, that's the long term. But in the in, in terms of the short term, I think it's a, a pretty solid option in terms of the options we potentially could have. Because let's face it, Dean Smith wants to prove himself at Villa. So it's an attractive mm. job. Most of these other guys had things to lose, or if they wanted to start, it looked like a bit of a dangerous, sticky wicket. So in terms of what we could have got with the available, uh, let's say, managers on offer who are willing to take the job, uh, I think it's as pr- pretty much as good as we could have got. Absolutely. And, and Dean Smith, you look at him, he will be a long-term option. You know, unless he was to get a, an insanely good offer, yeah. I, don't, I don't see him leaving Villa at in the in any time soon unless he's fired. Because this, this is it for him. This is the opportunity. Yeah, in terms of success... I would see him wanting to get us into Europe. If he was successful to get us out of this league, then success would be to yeah. get us challenging back where we were. Because yeah. that's you know that's his bread and butter when he was a kid. Yeah. I mean, the comparison to someone, as has been documented, to, to put him in the same kind of ballpark as like an Eddie Howe or someone like that would be a, a good sort of, uh, not blueprint necessarily to follow, but a, re- a really good sort of level to strive for over the next couple of, you know, two, three seasons. But he's got that because he was a kid and Villa were in Europe at that time, that's like a through line of uh, ambition of you know where Villa should be kind of thing. Oh, well, he knows where he, knows where he wants to yeah, set the and I, you know, I don't want to overplay this. He's one of our own kind of uh, malarkey because ultimately that, you know, that won't matter for shit if he's, uh, if he's not good enough. Agreed. Oh, Dan Rogers, are you still there? <laughs> I am. I thought you are making such succinct, valid points. I thought, why, why ruin it with my insanity? <laughs> 
Before we go on to our new segment, which uh, we're not going to tell you what it's called just yet. Did we say that at the top of the show? I can't remember. We did. Yeah, we did. Before we go, <laughs> before we go on to our new closing section, just a quick shout out to uh, the new patrons that have signed up. A big, 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 big thanks to Patrick Singleton, Lou Roberts, Sharon Patel, and Matt Rees. Thank you very much for helping support the podcast. And also... Beautiful people. Beautiful. And also supporting quality independent villa coverage that likes to represent the readers and not uh, patronize or lead them down in the clickbait model. If you also want to support us and become a My Old Man Said patron, please go to myoldmansaid.com and click on uh, the patron option on the menu bar. Also, make sure you, you spread the word of the podcast. Write a nice review if you want. Give us five stars and subscribe to whatever portal you use, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Addict, etc., etc. Anyway, the new segment. Where were you when we were good? Where were you? 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 When we were good. We'll we'll work out a proper jingle. Where were you? Where were where were you? That was gonna be antiques roadshow. <laughs> we're working on the jingle. We'll, we'll get a proper jingle when uh, we have more patrons, so we can uh, <laughs> bribe somebody to do it for us. The idea of this is we will look back in history. But instead of just taking obvious moments like, oh, remember when we won the European Cup? We will take idiosyncratic moments that either led to something in Villa history. So, for example, the first one, just to get yourselves in the groove here, and it's because it's connected to the last podcast, which was our reissue of the Big Ron interview, and he actually talks about this moment. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the semi-final of Tramia Rovers, but we're not going to talk about the the jaw-dropping hell-and-back experience of the second leg at Villa Park. <laughs> Ah, uh, where were you when we were good is this moment. We are now, in fact, into stoppage time. And one of the most famous nights in Tamir Rovers history has almost come to an end, and a glorious end at that. Villa must just get it forward. No pretty stuff now. We've just got to get it into the box. Townsend. And he's been fouled by Irons. Now they've got an opportunity to get it into the box and force something from the free kick. Harsh decision, but we can talk and analyse the whys and the wherefores all night. But 3-0, what a decisive result in the first leg of a semi-final competition. Richardson's kick and headed across the face of goal and Atkinson strikes it in. After all that time of concentration and defending, Tramia finally concede one a minute into stoppage time. Daly's little flick header, and Atkinson rifled it in with his right foot for his 13th goal of the season and his fourth in this competition to change the scoreline from 3-0 to 3-1. And how significant will that prove to be? It was a terrific strike, wasn't it? I thought it was a harsh free kick. It's all over, and it's ended in drama, and almost, strangely enough, psychologically, a little bit of disappointment for Tranmere. The difference between 3-0 and 3-1 in a two-legged competition where away goals can count doubles could be a big difference indeed. Right, so that was Dalian Atkinson's injury time goal. And he, he popped up again, didn't he, uh, in the second leg, in the dying embers of that game. But Villa, I always remember like, I mean, how much of the hard work could you have already done to get into the final? You've beaten Birmingham over two legs. You've beaten Sunderland away. 
beating Spurs away. You beat an Arsenal away. I mean, whoever was doing the fucking draw was not helping Villa get to that final <laughs> in any shape or form. And then they decided in the semi-final draw, they got a bit guilty and they thought, well, yeah. we've given them away trips to Arsenal and Spurs and Sunderland. Well, let's give them Tramier in the semi, you know, safe passage into the final. And have the away lag first. Yeah, there you go. everything, Bonus. all the stars aligned. You know, we're already, you know, celebrating that we're going to the final and we're probably going to play Manchester United. Some would call this classic Villa. By the way, it is classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what happens? Uh, Tramier, also, if that's not enough, if you need any more help, Tramier Rovers' uh, main two defenders are suspended for the game. Perfect. Villa, full, pretty much full strength team. Tramier, I think they played three at the back. They played three, four, three. Anyway, Tramia Rovers, they were they were pretty good in that period of time, if I remember rightly. They were they were John Aldridge. Yeah, I think I, I can't remember if that's they. I think they beat Liverpool and Everton in uh, in cups. Uh, I don't know if it was that period and or, or another Renaissance period they had. Anyway, just dispatched as three nil. Well, that's what they thought until the last minute when uh, obviously the ball came in. Daly got up and headed it back and uh, smart finish from Atkinson. It was a good finish and. Uh, it did sway the tie, but I always remember. I went. I, I remember. I was living in Hansworth uh, back in those days, and I had a ticket for the uh, the Villa Park semi final. And I was still pissed off. I was so pissed off about that first leg because everybody thought we're in. We're walking into the. I mean, obviously, the players thought the same thing. We're, we're we're in the final already. We don't even have to turn up against this Tramier Rovers outfit. And I was remember being so pissed off that. I didn't want to go. I thought, fuck, this is, as you said, so typical Villa. It's just, this is, you know, it's just <laughs> disgusting. It's like... You, so you packed all your cabbages. <laughs> so I got a big bag, put all my cabbages in. I thought, well, um, it's Sunday. I'm going to bowl them on. It's Sunday. Hang on a minute. I could cook that cabbage for my Sunday lunch, but I'm going to take this with me instead. <laughs> And normally I'd get the bus to Villa Park, but this time I, I thought, right, well, I'm going to leave like earlier and just walk there. Just... To Solemnly. talk myself into going to the game, just kind of psych myself up. But what a game that was. But And obviously we had the same uh, experience against Bradford. Oh, my God. Paul Lambert, Bradford, twice in the same podcast. Why would you <laughs> do this? But I think the difference was that because that goal was in the last... <laughs> In injury time, it kind of it did swing that momentum a yeah. little bit. Bradford, we that was just you know, just discussed. How can you get beat three one by Bradford? Bradford Ugh. or even lower. He should have been sacked there. I mean, Tramier Rovers were in the uh, well the championship, mm. but uh, Bradford were even you know fucking were, were they were they were they Sunday League team? I can't remember. <laughs> I haven't heard of them since. Put it that way. <laughs> But no, uh, so that 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 was uh, a kind of a pivotal goal that because I don't think if we go to Villa Park three 0 down against Rovers, I don't think we get out of that alive. Nah. And I, th- you know, if it obviously played out as it was, and Tramia were unlucky not to uh, get through that. I mean, even the last kick of the game in injury time hit the post. Yeah, I mean, my my memory of that Atkinson goal particularly is I, mean, it was, I was quite quite young at the time, but it, you know, abject disbelief that we were we were losing three 0 But how? At the point at which the free kick's taken, you know, the, the the ground is absolutely bouncing around them. Yeah. And how still the ground, you know, all football fans know the, the importance yeah. of, you know, that chink of light that you, you're back in the fixture, aren't you, with that goal. And quite quite um, quite um a low-key celebration from the Villa players, because I tell you what, it's a, it's a fine volley from Atkinson as well, absolutely hammered into the Cause that, Yeah, because Atkinson, the, the players didn't like charge, I think it was so late in injury time, they, they didn't mm. charge and get the ball and, you know, run out 
take it out of the net and run back to the center circle, Atkinson basically just turned around and just kind of jogged back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think they were, they, I mean, as Ron Atkinson said in that interview, he was, uh, they felt like they'd, they felt like the winners of that game and, and Tramia yeah. Rovers, you know, came in with their, sh- you know, shoulders slumped because they knew at 3-0 they were th- pretty much through. Chris wasn't born because he hasn't said a word yet. <laughs> no, 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 I was born. I was born. I, I was, was born. I was born. That, that went, was as soon as that ball hit the I, net, that was when uh, you were conceived through the celebration. <laughs> through a chorus of hallelujahs. Where were your parents when we were good? <laughs> But do, well, do you remember that game, or do you just remember the second leg, Chris? I remember the second leg more. I remember, I remember watching the second leg. Cause I, I can't remember how long it took me to actually watch the highlight, because I didn't see the game. Uh, obviously, I wasn't at Tramia for the first leg, and I think I just heard it on the radio. I was following it on the radio. Mm, same here. Back in the day, kids, you couldn't stream stuff uh, in the 90s. You had to rely on your transistor radio if you wasn't at the game. <laughs> you had to listen to Tom Ross. Remember when Villa, the first time we played into Milan under Graham Taylor, we'd, we'd oh. gone, we'd, oh, we'd won, Kent Nielsen. We'd, oh, no. oh. we'd won the, let's talk in the transistor radios, we won the first like 2 0. We should have, we should have <laughs> won by, by so much more. Great performance. And then we went to the San Siro, and uh, I think. Oh, you're talking dirty, and I have to keep talking San Siro. Go on. Those I think Cascarino had a chance, maybe, maybe McGrath had a chance, but, and I was, I was working, uh, uh, I had like a, I think I was like at school doing A levels or what GTSEs or whatever. So I had like a you know part time job at Tesco's or whatever, and I and I couldn't watch the game because I was working. So I bought a transistor radio just for this, just for this <laughs> fucking game. And uh, I finished at eight o'clock. So I was working uh, like a kickoff. So I'm like listening to like fifteen minutes. Then I'm running over this bridge to the train station to get my train back home. So I'm listening to the game, and it's two 0 The the goals start flooding in as soon as I'm going over this bridge. And I get onto the train. The train starts. Put the radio back on, and then and basically the commentary of the third goal is is on. And the window's open, so I just throw the transistor radio out the train window. <laughs> <laughs> and and make my way home. But yeah, no, those are the days, kids. Transistor. I, I kind of miss that in a certain way. Uh, I, me- I remember listening to Villa on like yeah. European games, like UEFA Cup, Spartak Moscow, whatever. And you had to listen. It's like da 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 da. Midweek sports special. It's like going and buying the pink paper, yeah. wasn't it? And half the results wouldn't have even been printed oh, in it. Yeah. <sighs> oh yeah. yeah get where we're selling that. Right? Good old sports argument. Where were you when we were good? It's a fantastic <laughs> segment. If you've got any ideas uh, in terms of little, uh, if you want us to waffle about any particular moment that may have been lost in the uh, annals of history of Aston Villa, uh, either tweet us at AVFC podcast or send us an email at contact at myoldmansaid.com and congratulations if you can actually remember when we were good god he always toxic but always finishes on a on a low note <laughs> well that's the upper halt in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> let's let's have a prediction now uh dean smith aston villa new dawn where do you think we'll finish at the, the end of this season football's coming oh, home god. 
I don't like predictions. The Premier League's coming home. Do you know what? I think he's got something massive in his favour. There's no runaway team. This I think if we get ourselves yeah, organised, Leeds are already starting to fold. Well, they're doing their yeah impl- usual implosion, aren't they? And and this 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 horrible set of December fixtures. The, the, the only real positive I can see is that we're going to be playing teams that are around us and that are supposedly competing with us. Get through that. We've got a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah you look at that month, and I, I just see that as an opportunity. You know, because I, I just don't think there's anybody to be feared in that division, especially teams coming to Villa Park. If you get our shit together, yeah, there's only there one the team second. that looked like they're there 100% for the long haul, and that's Middlesbrough. Just because you look at, they've only conceded seven goals so far this season. They're not scoring that many, but no. No, that's the other thing. What I'm saying is they look like they're going to be a consistent grinder. Mm. Yeah, they look they look like they look like that yeah, they can they can grind it out. You look at all the other teams and you think if they don't play yeah. well, they aren't going to win. Well, on the on the mental image of Tony Poulis grinding, is that is that where we draw things to a It point? is indeed. Oh, that's yeah. What a way to end. <laughs> just just think about that with his little baseball mm. cap, his Borough baseball cap on. Right, on that note, <laughs> it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, good villa folk. My old man said. Somebody's creaking on their chair. Yeah, that was me then, sorry. I'm going to cut your legs off so you won't need a chair. <laughs> cut, cut the legs off the chair. <laughs> and I'm just going to mount, mount you in a holder. Uh, just, just your head so you can use your mouth. Just in a vice. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.